are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Glad to have you listening in to our Tuesday episode. We'll be taking a look at what's new with Seattle's upcoming Week 17 opponent, the Detroit Lions. And as we do each and every week, we'll be dishing out some hot takes or some general thoughts from the Seahawks' loss to the Bears on Sunday in Tell the Truth Tuesday. Thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Rob, before we dive into a Seahawks-centric news topic, I just want to take a moment. This dropped literally two minutes before we started recording this podcast, but John Madden, one of the pillars of football, one of the pillars of the NFL. If the NFL had a Mount Rushmore, his face would certainly be one of the four on it. Known for the video game, longtime coach of the Oakland Raiders, Hall of Famer, well-renowned broadcaster, the man that made me fall in love with football as a kid. The NFL announced that he has passed away. Just, I can't even think of words at, at this point. Just a stunning loss. Obviously, getting to be an older man. So from that perspective, maybe not surprising. His health had been declining in recent years, but uh there's no question that this is a huge loss for everyone that loves the sport of football. Uh, an outstanding man, outstanding coach, outstanding announcer, and our condolences to his family and friends after learning of his passing today. Yeah, well said, buddy. I mean, I think there's truly a legend in the sport. Uh, you know, I mean, I I was among the millions who had an opportunity to kind of watch the the John Madden special televised on Fox on Christmas Day, and I thought that they did a great job uh, of just honoring him. Um, I'm happy that he was able to see that before he passed away. Uh, 85 years old, um, you know, but but what a life lived, as you said, uh, you know, truly among the, the giants, uh, I think in sports, not just football, um, but just in sports. I mean, to uh, to have won the title um, as a head coach, to have been the announcer, to, you mentioned the, the Madden video game, um, you know, all of those different things. I mean, there's very few people on this planet uh, who had the reach and the the laugh the, the joy that, that he brought to so many. So um, certainly condolences to, to all of his, uh, his friends, his family, um, you know, rest in peace, sir. You were a great one. Just a huge loss for the sports world. And again, our condolences to friends, family, everybody that was touched by John Madden, never had the opportunity to meet him. There was a couple of times where there was, it looked like there might be some encounters, get an opportunity to meet him, but never had that, privilege, never was blessed enough to chat with him. But the people I do know that have talked to him, talked about how great of a human being he was, how genuine he was off the mic, away from the sidelines. And so just stunning news for all of us that love the game of football. Again, one of the pillars that really turned the NFL into the giant that it is today. The league would not be where it is right now without John Madden. Let's get to some Seahawks discussion here. Two games left in the regular season, Rob. The Seahawks have been eliminated from the postseason. They're 5-10, and 10, first time with double-digit losses since 2009 when Jim Mora was on the sidelines. So it's been a very challenging season. There's really not that much left to play for 
other than pride and evaluating players. And this is something you and I have hit on a few times recently, and we're excited about the opportunity to maybe be able to evaluate some players that haven't gotten many snaps up to this point. So real quick, before we dive into the other parts of our show, who are two players, one on offense and one on defense, that maybe haven't gotten many opportunities up to this point that you are hoping to see get more playing time to evaluate them these last two games? Well, given how much I've slammed Russell Wilson these last couple of weeks, Corbin, I think you can make an argument that I should be saying Jacob Eason um, and seeing what the Seahawks have at the quarterback position. But with all due respect to Russell Wilson, I still certainly acknowledge that he is the best quarterback on Seattle's roster. Uh, let's let's go, go in a different direction. Uh, to me, I, I've just been so disappointed with the, the lack of any type of consistent role that we've seen from Colby Parkinson. Um, you know, he had to catch this last week against the uh, Chicago Bears. He also had a holding penalty. And, and that's one of the things that was disappointing to me is, is how Seattle is choosing to use Kobe Parkinson, a former wide receiver who has terrific hands, terrific body control, very good speed for a man of his size, and yet very rarely has been asked to use any of those traits, uh, you know, for the Seahawks benefit so far this year. So uh, I'm really excited about Gerald Everett. He has been the the player that I thought that he could be for Seattle. Um, at the same time, uh, I, I really think that Kobe Parkinson could have offered the Seahawks a lot more. And so he is one player that I certainly wish would see the field a lot more over these last couple of next couple of games. Otherwise, I think the Seattle should be looking to get to add yet another pass catcher in the 2022 draft class. On the offensive side of the football, for me, I'm not going to say Jake Curhan because we've gotten to see him start the last three games, and I'm expecting he is going to start the last two games, even with Brandon Shell coming off the COVID-19 list. Shell's a free agent. I think that the Seahawks realize Curhan has a chance to be their future starter as early as next year at right tackle. So you're out of the playoffs. Let the young player get some opportunities. I'm going to stay on the offensive line, though. The Seahawks know what Ethan Posa can do, and they certainly know what Kyle Fuller can and can't do at the center position after both those guys started a number of games this season, got some reps last year as well. You need to see what Dakota Shepley can do. This is a guy that was a standout in the Canadian Football League. He's a pretty good athlete for an offensive lineman. He fits a lot of the traits that the Seahawks are looking for at that position, and yet he hasn't gotten an opportunity yet this year. Now that they're out of the playoffs, Ethan Postick is going to be a free agent. Kyle Fuller is going to be an exclusive rights free agent or actually a restricted free agent. So he might not be back either. Both those players could be out of town. Dakota Shepley, a two-game audition, see what he can do, even if it's just rotating in for a few series in both games. Pete Carroll was asked about that yesterday and said eh, maybe he might be able to play. Didn't overly sound convincing there, but maybe they'll give him an opportunity. I would just like to see if they have something there because we know that Posick as well as Fuller, are not long-term answers at the center position. Yeah, as you said, I mean, they uh, with Fuller and with Posick, they've had their opportunities. Um, I think on the defensive side of the ball, Ugo Amadi has had his opportunities um, to, to play in the nickel spot, to play deep at safety, uh, as has Ryan Neal. Um, you know, and of course, when Jamal Adams went down to injury, uh, I was among the many who, who said, oh, don't worry about it. Ryan Neal is a, is a proven starter for the Seahawks. He's going to be just fine. He's going to make some big plays. He is not. 
made very many big plays. The Seahawks have absolutely um, lost the big play magnet that is Jamal Adams. And so to me, one of the players that I'd like to see uh, get promoted from the practice squad and, and be in Seattle's active roster, get a little bit of opportunity, would be the, the former second-round pick, Josh Jones, uh, a, a big safety from uh, from – that was drafted by the Green Bay Packers in the second round a few years ago out of North Carolina State. He's 6'1", 220 pounds. He is like that that traditional uh, run-stuffing, strong safety type. To me, he would make some sense to go up against a team like the Detroit Lions that wants to run the football. Um, and, and instead of having Ugo Amadi play in that nickel spot, um, have slide over uh, Ryan Neal to the nickel spot in which he had played pretty well in the past uh, and get Josh Jones onto the field at that strong safety position. See if he can develop any type of rapport with Quandre Diggs and, and just see what you have there. Because again, this is a terrific athlete at 6'1", 220 pounds. And I just think that he has a little bit higher upside and might be able to add a little bit more physicality to a secondary that not only has struggled against the past, as we saw against the Chicago Bears, they struggled in defending the run as well. I'm going to stay in the trenches for my pick, and it's a player that's gotten his first two games of action as a Seahawk the past two weeks, and the results have been mixed. He got blown up on the touchdown run by Khalil Herbert on Sunday, but I saw some flashy plays from Miles Adams, former Rice defensive tackle. He's been on their practice squad for the last two seasons, around 290 pounds, so he's on the lighter end of the spectrum, but this guy's got a quick first step, and he has shot into the backfield a few times to help disrupt some run plays. He joined Jordan Brooks blowing up a screen on Sunday as well. So he's checked that box off. That's been a struggle for Seattle's defensive tackles has been reacting to screens. Well, he has shown that he's got a pretty good football IQ and he's been able to snuff out a few of those in his couple games since they called him up. Might be a player that offers some pass rushing ability with his athleticism too. Has played some defensive end in the past. So I'd like to see what this kid can do with some more extensive reps the last two games because Al Woods is going to be a free agent. Brian Monet is going to be a restricted rights free agent. So he may or may not be back. Puna Ford's going to be entering the last year of his new deal that he just had signed, a two-year contract he signed before this year. LJ Collier, who knows what's going to happen on that front? They've got some depth questions in the interior defensive line. And I just think Miles Adams could be a player that maybe can play his way into a rotational role next year if he plays well these last couple games when there isn't really anything else that guys are playing for other than their futures with the franchise. Let's get to our Tell the Truth Tuesday segment here on Locked on Seahawks. As we have done each and every week for the last couple of weeks, really we've enjoyed this segment. A chance for us to dish out some hot takes or just some general thoughts, maybe some topics we didn't get to touch on on Monday when we recapped the previous game. So, Rob, I'm going to start with you today for Tell the Truth Tuesday. What's the first thing that jumps out to you, the first thought that comes to you for today's segment, whether it's from Sunday's game or just kind of more of a general outlook with this Seahawks team that now is going to miss the playoffs and is going to finish in last place in the NFC West? Well, that's the thing, Corbin. I, I'm going to take. A, I'm going to provide a takeaway from not only this uh, latest loss to the Chicago Bears, but basically over the course of the season, and it is this: Why the hell hasn't Carlos Dunlap been used 
uh, all season long, the way that he was last year when he led the Seahawks in sacks, and this year when he's likely to take over uh, as the sack champion for the second consecutive year. It is just so frustrating to see a man at his age, at 280 pounds, dropping back into coverage when he clearly does not have the instincts, does not have the the uh, agility uh, to be playing in space, at least not against today's you know receivers and tight ends and running backs who are all so much quicker than he is is going to be but at the same time when you allow the man to rush the quarterback you, you see the impact that he can have um you know with multiple sacks each of the last two weeks and i expect he'll do the exact same thing against the detroit lions if the seahawks put him in a position to do so and so to me that has been one of the absolutely most frustrating aspects about this and you know listener uh, listeners to our podcast know that yesterday you and i had a you know, a fairly decent uh, debate about whether or not the, the Seahawks should scrap everything, start all over again in terms of the head coach, the general manager, all of that. To me, that is one of the biggest questions I have for Pete Carroll and his coaching staff is why is Carlos Dunlap, among other players, not being used best to take full advantage of their skill set? And that's a perfect segue into my first thing here. Finally, after 14 games, we see the Seattle Seahawks are using Gerald Everett the way that we expected they were going to this entire season. And I'm not going to pin this necessarily on the coaching staff entirely. I think that Russell Wilson and even Geno Smith, to an extent, the few games that he was quarterback, there have been times where they just have not gotten the tight end involved in the passing game. Even when we've seen players like Everett get open, they are not getting the football thrown to them. We've seen a shift there. A positive shift at that the last two weeks for Russell Wilson. On Sunday, we saw a couple third down completions, their second touchdown drive to Gerald Everett, where Russell Wilson just took the dump off and he let Everett go to work. There was another play that he dumped it off to him in the flats, wide open. He got 26 yards on it, and they ended up getting a field goal at the end of the first half after that. And so you're seeing Russell Wilson get the ball to him. He's led the team in receiving yards each of the last two games. Now, you might argue well, that means DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett aren't getting enough targets. Well, in one of those games, they didn't even have Lockett. And Metcalf did get a 41-yard touchdown last game. But Everett's ability to create after the catch is just something they have not taken advantage of enough. And maybe you want to put a little bit of that on Shane Waldron's plate as the offensive coordinator, not scheming that up. But also the quarterbacks have to be able to get the football to those players. And that's been a persistent problem for Russell Wilson throughout his career, getting tight ends consistently involved, especially those passes over the middle in the short to intermediate game, which has never been a strength of his. But we are seeing him get the ball to the tight end a little bit more the last couple of games. One positive you can take away when there haven't been a ton of them on offense. But I think this is just another sign that Gerald Everett should be given another opportunity to come back in 2022. He should be one of the free agents that they prioritize to resign because we are now seeing what he is capable of doing. And if you can combine that with more consistent production from Metcalf and Lockett and your quarterback's playing like he's capable of, this should be an offense that is one of the best in the league. It unfortunately has not been this year, but one bright spot, we are seeing Gerald Everett get more involved. No, I 100% agree with you. I mean, it, it's there, there's only so many players on Seattle's roster that can actually scare a defense, both not only in terms of speed, but in terms of tackle-breaking ability. And, and Gerald Everett provides that. So that, that's one of the things that uh, I've always thought that, again, the, the combination of he and Kobe Parkinson specifically at the tight end position, I really thought it should make Seattle's tight end room um, a, a dynamic one. Um, 
my initial point or, or my next point there, um, because I do put some of that blame on, on the quarterbacks, especially Russell Wilson, obviously, as the starter. And as you mentioned, um, going back to his, his collegiate days, he I think it's probably because of his height um, that he has struggled in, in throwing balls uh, over the middle. Um, you know, and targeting tight ends. Uh, and, and so to me, that is one of, one of the takeaways, again, not only from the loss of Chicago Bears, but all season long, Corbin, at least ever since that uh, Russell Wilson, uh, you know, suffered the, the, middle, uh, the middle finger injury, is that the quarterback play just simply hasn't been good enough. There's just been too many games uh, in the second half of the season where it was clear that the better quarterback play was on the opposing side. And, you know, that that's... You can say that about a lot of different teams out there, but not about play, not about teams that are paying Russell Wilson as much as they are. Um, so to me, that is one of the real decisions that the Seahawks have to make here. I think, frankly, it's a bigger decision than what they're doing at general manager or head coach. If, if the, the Seahawks believe that Russell Wilson is just an offseason away from playing back at that MVP caliber stage, then of course you want to re- bring him back. But if he is not, considering how much they're paying him, then you have to try and look for other options because this is not a team that is suddenly going to turn around unless number three turns it around. Yeah, that's a big issue they're going to have to worry about this season. And the third downs have never been a huge strength for him, but this year has been especially bad. The Seahawks are dead last in the NFL in third down conversion rate, and a big part of that has been because Russell Wilson has not been accurate in those situations near the bottom of the league in completion percentage. And again, they looked good in the first half on Sunday, converting on third down, then went 0 for 4 in the second half. It's just been an issue that they have not been able to solve, and I think a big part of that problem has been the play of Russell Wilson under center. I'm going to go to the defensive side of the football for my next one, and maybe not a hot take necessarily, but Ugo Amadi is not the answer at slot cornerback for the Seahawks. I think there are a lot of fans out there, even when Marquise Blair went down earlier this year, a lot of people looked at the way that Amadi played last season, replacing Blair after he tore his ACL, and they thought, you know what, we'll be in good shape. And I don't think that Ugo Amadi is a bad football player necessarily, but if you look at the way that this season has played out, how many times has he had critical defensive holding or pass interference penalties I do think the one Sunday was pretty tic-tac, but there have been a couple of them that have been called on him that were blatant holds on third downs that they got stops and ended up nullifying those stops. He's missed a lot of tackles this year. And what I've maybe been most surprised about, the lack of football awareness from him, not something that I noticed his first couple of years in the league, but particularly against screens, teams have been able to exploit him on bubble screens all year, and he just hasn't played them right. He has not adapted to that. And he's given up some big plays in coverage as well. I just I think that he's a good role player to have on your team that can come in and play as a pinch hitter and can give you some good snaps. He's going to be a good special teams player. But at this point, now ending his third season, I just don't feel like he is the answer at that slot cornerback spot. And I'd like to see John Reed maybe get an opportunity the last two games. He was another player I thought about in that first quarter. We got to see him play on the outside. I think he's better catered to play that slot I would actually like to see him get some slot snaps these last two games and see maybe if he could be the guy for the Seahawks next season. I'm just at this point, I'm not sold on Ugo Amadi playing that position as a starter. Uh, again, I have to agree with you. Um, I'm going to quickly switch over to uh, my my final takeaway. And again, I'm going to kind of focus in on the offensive side of the football a little bit here. Plenty of uh, of blame to be spread around, not only with Russell Wilson, but with the offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron. 
as well as Seattle's top draft pick this year, D. Eskridge. I, I've just been so disappointed with the lack of creativity and how Eskridge has been used. Um, now, again, I don't know that that's all on the player. I think some of it certainly has been. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one who has noticed how many times that D. Eskridge has to look to a teammate to figure out where he should be lined up all season long. Yeah. Um, all Exactly. And so that is a huge concern here. There's no doubt that he's a great athlete, but uh, we're, we're seeing so many teams, Corbin, who are you know, employing wide receivers as running backs or are, are shifting them, uh, you know, putting them in motion or asking them to play the, you know, on the outside at, at, at flanker as well as the inside in that slot position. Uh, all these different ways. Uh, we're going to be talking about one of them here at the Detroit Lions and I'm already St. Brown who was drafted in the fourth round, not D. Eskridge in the second round. And St. Brown doesn't have nearly athletic ability that Eskridge has. Um, and yet I see the Detroit Lions are using their rookie wide receiver much more creatively than Seattle is with Eskridge. So to me, that has been one of the huge frustrations. And so I would like to see the Seattle try to tinker a little bit more with how they're using Eskridge. See if we can if we can see that dynamic athleticism that was so obvious in the Mac. See if we can show up a little bit in the NFL over the last couple of weeks of the season. Do something other than running a jet sweep or a shovel pass with him because he can do more than that. That he is not a one-dimensional player. So, yes, I would definitely agree with you on that. My last one, at this point, I don't think is a hot take. Some of our listeners might think that it is. And this is not a slight on number 54. Anybody that listens to this podcast knows that I think Bobby Wagner is still a very solid linebacker. He is a first ballot Hall of Famer. But I'm going to say it now coming off this game Sunday. I thought Jordan Brooks was once again one of the best players on the field for the Seattle Seahawks. I think that Jordan Brooks has surpassed Bobby Wagner as the team's best linebacker, overall linebacker. I'm not afraid to say that, and I think the film backs it up. Yes, Bobby Wagner has more tackles, but Brooks is not far behind him. Brooks is third in the NFL. We've seen him have several pass breakups the last couple weeks. He had a fourth down stop in the red zone on Sunday. He's consistently hitting ball carriers at the line of scrimmage. We're just seeing more comfort with him on screen plays in recent weeks as well. He is really rounding into a all-pro caliber linebacker. I'm not expressing hyperbole saying that. That is the level he has played at the last few weeks. He's doing what we saw from Bobby Wagner for a long time, and the issue for Wagner now is the athleticism just is not there. I mentioned this play yesterday. Cole Komet, a little dump off on third down, was well short of the first down marker. Bobby Wagner was perfectly positioned to make a play, and he just could not physically get the job done because he has diminished athleticism and quickness. You don't have that issue with Jordan Brooks. He flies around the field, very athletic linebacker, great instincts, again, getting better against screens. So he is the foundation of this defense at this point. And that's not, again, not sliding Bobby Wagner. I could see him playing another year or two in Seattle and still playing at a fairly high level. But this is not the number 54 that we saw in his first seven, eight years in the league. He just doesn't have the athleticism anymore to do that. Jordan Brooks now, this is his show in the middle of Seattle's defense. We're going to shift to the Detroit Lions here in a moment. Seahawks getting ready to play them at home in week 17. Two teams out of the playoff race that will be playing for pride. And obviously, as we mentioned earlier, evaluating players for the 2022 season. So we'll look at some additions, departures, and of course, inside the numbers with a Lions team that has been playing better football as of late. Bet online as you covered this holiday season with more props, odds, and lines. 
than ever before as football continues to march towards the playoffs and college bowl season. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the sports action this season. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Locked On to receive your bonus from basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. So don't wait to take advantage of all the new amazing offers available. Bet online where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the ultimate college football playoff preview. Local experts, betting advice, and draft analysis. The most comprehensive college football playoff preview is live now. So make sure to check it out on all major platforms. Let's talk Detroit Lions, Rob. And I think, you know, you look at the schedule when the season came out. This was a game I'm sure Seahawks fans were circling. Jared Goff's now in Detroit instead of Matthew Stafford. They get a new coach. It's a team that has been perennially one of the worst in the NFL. They're rebuilding. This was a game at home that fans were expecting was going to be a cakewalk. And yet here we are heading into week 17. The Seahawks have lost two straight. They're 5-10. and 10. The Lions have only won two games, but they've won two of their past four. So they were winless. And then lately they have been playing much better football for Dan Campbell. And this is a coach that just seems to have the players buying into what he is selling. That is a dangerous team to play at the end of the season, especially when they have nothing else to play for. So the Seahawks better have their hard hat on. It's a lot like the Bears this past weekend. The Bears had nothing to play for, and yet they looked like the team that was more inspired. You've got to be prepared for the Detroit Lions to do the same thing. You really do. As you said, Corbin, I mean, they, they've won two of their past four. Um, a couple of weeks before their, their first victory, they tied the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, you know, and, and think about the teams that they beat. They beat the Arizona Cardinals and the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, you know, those, those are two pretty good football teams, two playoff caliber teams. So, um, you know, again, the Detroit Lions are, are playing good football right now. Uh, they very much are taking the personality of their head coach, Dan Campbell. Remember, uh, Seahawks fans, he was the guy that when he was hired, basically told people that, uh, you know, his team was going to be just gnawing on the legs uh, of opponents if they had to. Um, their front office uh, is going to complete rebuild. Uh, the former middle linebacker, Chris Spielman, who was recently inducted in Detroit's Ring of Honor, um, is uh, operating in the front office. And again, they are just finding those types of blue-collar, tough-guy football players. And, and so I guess it's not surprising at all to see the Detroit Lions are, are playing with a little bit more intensity than their record would suggest. And to me, that's what's kind of exciting about this. And it's the same reason why I was excited to go uh, to see Seattle go up against Chicago, because when you have a young, hungry football team coming in, then you're going to see who of the veterans on Seattle's roster are going to step up and really play the string out and really finish the season with great pride and who is basically just going to be looking ahead to next year and, and perhaps planning their off-season vacations and things of that nature. So I'm very interested to see which of these two teams is going to wind up prevailing just because if it's the team that's playing better and playing more physically, then Seattle's going to get beat again. Yeah, I think this is a game that's a toss-up heading into this matchup, especially because of the way the Seahawks just lost to the Chicago Bears, who 
aren't much better record-wise than the Lions. And the Lions have played them tough in the NFC North. They've played a lot of teams tough. They had the Ravens, the Vikings. They ended up beating the second time. They could have beaten them the first time. So they have had good football teams on the ropes consistently this year and just haven't been able to finish until as of late. And they're playing a lot better ball. They are going to have Jared Goff coming off of the COVID-19 list. He was taken off the list today. So he will be back under center for the Lions. They'll have their starting quarterback and a number of other players coming back. Let's look at how this team has changed because this is one of those teams that's had the most roster, roster turnover. And you would expect that with a new coach in Dan Campbell and coming off a bad season with Matt Patricia as the head coach. They changed a lot of things on offense and defense. And Jared Goff, obviously the biggest addition, trading Matthew Stafford away to the Los Angeles Rams, making that quarterback swap. But there's a number of other players that they have brought in this year for the 2022 or 2021 campaign. In the backfield, they added Jamal Williams, former Green Bay Packers, so staying within the NFC North, a bigger back that's got some physicality. Charles Harris, former first-round pick, that kind of has been a disappointment up to this point, but he leads their team in sacks. So he's had a little bit of a career rejuvenation coming to Detroit and playing for Dan Campbell. Panay Suell, their first-round pick out of Oregon, he's played better as the season has progressed. Amonra St. Brown and Josh Reynolds, former Rams receiver who's with the Titans briefly, didn't work out in Tennessee this year after he signed there, but he's done some nice things for the Lions, including catching a touchdown in that win against the Arizona Cardinals a few weeks ago. So they've made some moves with this roster that, you know, might not have looked like big moves, like signing Reynolds in the middle of the season, that have paid off. And those are some players that could be key components of a competitive Lions team, maybe as early as next season. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that the addition of uh, St. Brown at wide receiver, uh, as well as Josh Reynolds, really changed Detroit's offense. I mean, we know Jared Goff well. Um, and he doesn't have the strongest arm. He's a very accurate passer uh, from the pockets. But um, with the Detroit Lions losing two spectacular receivers, and Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay uh, to free agent a year ago, Corbin, that, that was a huge uh, vacuum at that spot for them. And they really struggled early on in the season. But uh, again, St. Brown has, has stepped up. The addition of Josh Reynolds has diversified their offense. They've gone with a lot of undrafted free agents and late round kind of guys, um, but they're, they're humming a little bit now. Um, with, with the combination of, of Jamal Williams, as you mentioned, a former Packer who did bring toughness to their team, you pair him with DeAndre Swift, and, and they've got a, a, a pretty dynamic one-two punch uh, at the running back position as well. Um, so to me, that this is a team on the offensive side of the ball that, that really has made some big changes, and it's almost been a, a little bit of an addition by subtraction a little bit with some of the guys who were paid a lot but weren't producing very much for Detroit on the defensive side of the ball. Linebacker Jamie Collins, Jared Davis, the former first-round pick, Everson Griffin, the edge rusher. You know, Charles Harris, as you said, was a, is a bit of a rejuvenation this year, um, but he's playing pretty good football. And considering how much the Seattle has struggled to uh, protect Russell Wilson, not only this year but in the past, uh, I think that this is Detroit Lions team that, uh, that, you know, that is formidable. Um, Alex Anzalone, another one. Uh, brought over from the New Orleans Saints, currently leads the Lions in tackles. And he's another guy that's not a great athlete, but he can step out the football and he'll make a, the ball carrier pay when he meets him in the hole. So I'm going to put this disclaimer out there for our listeners. I've already mentioned it a couple of times. This is a Lions team that is playing pretty darn good football over the last month or so. Even early in the year, there were a number of games against really good teams that they were in position to win. 
late in the fourth quarter, and they just couldn't finish off games. And that's not abnormal when you get a new coach and you have a roster that honestly is one of the least talented in the league, at least for now. They've got a lot of young players that in time could end up being quality starters in the NFL. But I mean, this is a team that's playing a lot of rookies on both sides of the ball. They've got new coaching staff and everything. So it's, it's tough to win football games when you have continuity. When you don't, it's especially difficult to win. So you're seeing this team, they are turning things around. They've been much more competitive. They've been able to win some games. But statistically, this is still a two-win team. So they're near the bottom in almost every major category. So this is not knocking them when we're going through these numbers. I think this is a better football team than what these numbers would illustrate for the entirety of the season. But these numbers are going to suggest that this is a really, really bad football team, and they're still just a two-win outfit. So a few numbers that jumped out on offense. Rob, they have 168 plays this year of 10 or more yards, and that ranks 27th in the NFL. So whether it's passing or running the football, explosives have not been something that have been easy to come by for Detroit. They just don't have a lot of weapons, and their offensive line hasn't necessarily protected Jared Goff all the time. So this is a group that maybe has played better of late, but not a group that's going to get a lot of big plays, a lot of chunk yardage. That's just not the way they do things. They're going to have to score methodically. And Jared Goff, you know, kind of a positive. You mentioned the accuracy. The Lions have a 67.2 completion rate this year under center, most of that being Jared Goff. That's the seventh best in the NFL. So they might not have that deep ball going. It might not be an explosive-oriented offense, but Jared Goff is still a quarterback that can complete – passes at a very high rate and he's still a player that can dish the ball out to a bunch of different receivers and when he's making sound decisions can be a very competent quarterback can still play at that pro bowl level like we saw a few years ago just has had his inconsistency issues so this is an offense isn't going to have a lot of explosives but if you don't defend receivers and they get open Jared Goff is going to hit those players and they've shown the last few weeks they can put points on the board they can. That's been actually one of the areas that they've struggled with is just putting points on the board, although it has improved. Um, you know, they one of the numbers that I would point out is the number three. That's how many times in 15 games so far this season that the Detroit Lions have scored at least 20 points. So that's kind of the magic number. You get to 20 points and you can beat this team. Um, you know, if you give up 20 to them, however, then you may, very easily may wind up losing. Um, now, some of that is because of the fact that, is, as we talked about, um, they they had to make a significant transition at the wide receiver position. And, and that's even more difficult when, of course, you're bringing in a brand new quarterback, brand new coaching staff and all of that. But now they do have a little bit more talent at the receiver position. Um, I, I think that that's going to be a little bit easier for them. They did lose their tight end, a, a, a potential pro bowler in the future in TJ Hawkinson. Um, he is not going to be in, in this game. So because of that, then I don't expect the league's worst uh, red zone conversion team um, at just 43.2% when it comes to the red zone for the Detroit Lions. I don't expect them to improve um, against Seattle this weekend. And so that's going to be an area of concern. However, the one player that I do want to mention again uh, would be Amon Ross St. Brown. I mean, this, this this receiver drafted in the fourth round has been dynamic. Um, he's got four consecutive games, Corbin, where he has at least eight catches. Um, I haven't seen anything from Seattle's uh, secondary that suggests that that string is, is going to end anytime soon. That is the most that the Detroit Lions have ever had from a rookie wide receiver. And you think about some of the receivers the Detroit Lions have had over the years, that, that's pretty big stuff. Yeah, that's pretty impressive numbers when you consider that they've had guys like Calvin Johnson, obviously, uh, Kenny Galladay. 
And you go back to when they had Perriman. There's a number of really good receivers that the Lions have had in their history. And so for him to have that statistic, have that record in his corner, that's a pretty impressive thing to put on your resume. On defense, like offense, the Lions have been playing a bit better as of late, but statistically, they don't stack up to one. In fact, I would think the biggest reason that things have turned around for this team has been the offense playing better more so than the defense. This is still a group that's got a lot of holes, but they're playing hard for Dan Campbell, and that's the key. Even with them only being a two-win team, they're still going out and they're fighting each week. A few numbers that jumped out to me, they've given up 40 touchdowns this year total. That's the eighth most in the NFL. They were higher than that, so they have made some improvements in terms of holding teams out of the end zone. Early in the year, they were giving up a ton of touchdowns, a ton of points. So there have been some improvements in that regard. 69.4% red zone defense percentage. That's next to last in the league, 31st overall. So if you get inside the 20s, 70% of the time, you score touchdowns against this team. And so, again, they've had a hard time keeping teams out of the end zone. Maybe the one bright spot, though, 47 pressures from Charles Harris. We mentioned him earlier, former first-round pick that really struggled his first couple of years in the league. But he's in the top 25 in the NFL this year for pressures. So Russell Wilson better be on the lookout for Charles Harris. He might be the guy on that front seven that can wreak some, wreak some havoc going against the Seahawks offensive line and could be a bit of a problem for Russell Wilson. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the CX are catching a break here in that, uh, you know, one of their their ball hawks, um, a young player, Amani Oruwarie, um, who had six interceptions so far for this season. I mean, Corbin, the Lions only have nine interceptions all year long. And the fact that they just lost the guy who has six of those nine, obviously, is something that makes it a little bit easier uh, to, to pass on this team. And so I think, as you talked about before, there, there are some pretty ugly statistics out there with the Detroit Lions. I think Seahawks fans know all about ugly statistics. And they, they keep mentioning the fact that Seattle is, you know, last in, uh, in defending third downs and in total yards, but at the same time has been fifth in the NFL in terms of overall defense. The fact that they did have one of the interception leaders, um, I think is uh, is one of those kind of bright spots uh, for the Detroit Lions at this point. You mentioned uh, Charles Harris and, and, and his sacks. Uh, to me, those are some of the things that, that are really intriguing. I would go back to one other thing about the Detroit Lions. And again, this isn't a surprising statistic, but it just is an indication of how young they are, how much of a transition it's been. Detroit Lions are actually about, about middle of the pack when it comes to penalties overall, but they are far and away the worst in the NFL in terms of pre-snap penalties. Yeah. And so, all right, 12s, get loud, because this is a team that might struggle in, in that type of environment. Yeah, when you have a lot of rookies and second-year players playing and guys that are new in your system too, it's not uncommon to have a lot of pre-snap penalties, and that has been a major thorn in Detroit's side all year long. So maybe the crowd can take advantage of that. We'll see how much the crowd is into it with the Seahawks being five and 10 going to this game. They certainly were not as loud as normal in Sunday's game against the bears, though there were a few moments where the crowd noise in the snow picked up, but not your typical 12 volume that we've come accustomed to seeing over the past 20 years or so. Thanks for making locked on Seahawks. Your first listen each and every day. Now make your second listen locked on bets, your daily one-stop shop, for all your gambling needs, 
Locked on Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rank. Make sure to check out the Locked on Seahawks podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the all-new Odyssey app. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. Coming up tomorrow, we're back to our regular programming. It's Matchup Wednesday. We'll be taking a look at which matchups matter most as the Seahawks gear up for their final home game of the season against the Detroit Lions on Sunday. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening. As always, enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.